Well, good morning. We're so glad to have you here at Reston Bible Church. Over the last four weeks, we completed a series on rest. One of the things we talked about last week was just the challenge that we all face with technology as it relates to the distractions of day-to-day living. I wanted to let you know that in the bookstore, we do have several resources specifically for parents related to navigating technology in your home. Really want to encourage you to check that out uh, on your way out today. Well, this morning we begin a six-week series in the book of Philippians. I do want to encourage you to get get this resource. We will have that in the bookstore next weekend. I wasn't uh, uh, quick enough on the switch to get it to the uh, our bookstore staff in time to get that to you this week, but will be available next week. It's a really really significant resource. I wanted to give you a little bit of background first as we get started today. You know, Paul. Uh, went to the city of Philippi during his second missionary journey. If we see Acts chapters 13 and 14 as the first missionary journey, Acts chapter 15 is that council that we talked about several weeks ago in Jerusalem. And then as we move into chapter 16, Paul makes his way through Turkey, across the Aegean Sea, and into Europe. I want to show you a map of that whole region. Uh, we see that in the upper kind of right hand, left-hand corner, excuse me, you see the city of Philippi right up under the big word Macedonia. He started all the way over in Antioch, just above what today the nation of Israel, across Turkey, Asia, and then uh, into uh, Europe. It was the first church planted in Europe approximately 50 AD. Now, if you remember, if you remember world history, in 42 BC, Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in the Battle of Philippi, thus transitioning from the Roman uh, Republic to what we refer to as the Roman Empire. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony and it had huge benefits. It wasn't under the provincial ruling of the area. It had a myriad of uh, retired military there. It was a relatively wealthy city and they had all the rights and privileges, even exempt from certain taxes, citizenship and so forth, as if they were in Italy itself. Paul goes to the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. We know that there was no synagogue there. There were very few Jews that were there because it says that they went to the place of prayer. There was a standard. If there wasn't enough men, 10 men, to make up a synagogue, they would find a place, the few Jews that there were, and they called it the place of prayer. And there he spoke the gospel. And the first believer in the Philippian church was a wealthy woman by the name of Lydia. Scholars believe that Lydia probably hosted the church in her rather palatious home. The second believer that we know of in that city was the Philippian jailer. Uh, traveling around behind Paul in his entourage as he was preaching the gospel was this young girl uh, who was filled with demons who was, they were using uh, to kind of predict and, you know, fortune tell and so forth and so on. And he got so annoyed because she just kept declaring who they were that he cast the demon out of her. And their, her owners were so angry because suddenly their income was now done away with. They made such a fuss, he ended up in the Philippian jail. And the Philippian jail was not a good place to be. It was a very rough environment. In the middle of the night, about midnight or so, Paul and Silas were singing their hymns. There was an earthquake. All of the doors sprung open. The Philippian jailer ran in, get ready to fall on his sword because he knew that if he lost any prisoners at all, that was the end of his life. 
and he comes to faith. It's a powerful story. I encourage you to go back to Philippians uh, chapter 16 and read all about that. So Paul established this church in about 50 AD. He went on through another missionary journey. His journey from Jerusalem to Rome as he appealed to Caesar in front of the Jews. He's now in his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, roughly 61, 62 AD. This is now 30 years after the ascension of Jesus and a little more than 12 years after uh, Paul's first visit to the city of Philippi. The underlying theme of the book, not the teaching theme as it were, but the tone of the book is one of joy. The words joy or rejoice occur 12 times in four short chapters. And it is an entirely Jesus-centered book. The name Jesus, or Jesus Christ, is referenced 31 times in the book. And if you add the word Lord or Savior or other references to Jesus, there are 51 references to Jesus himself in this very small book. Now, The Philippians is structured much like other letters in the New Testament. He starts with a very customary greeting of thanks and a prayer for them. One of the critical elements as we launch into these first few verses is the reality of their, that they are eternally secure and confident in their being conformed into the image of Christ. They are eternally secure in their salvation and they will be conformed to the image of Christ. One of the first verses that I memorized as a young believer 46 years ago was found in Philippians 1.6 which says, And I am sure of this, that he, that is Jesus, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This church has confidence that in this ongoing process of sanctification as we speak of it today, They will be conformed to the image of Christ and that will be accomplished in the day of Christ when he returns and brings them into eternity. And eternal security and conformity to Christ are critical foundational doctrines that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. The key verse for this entire series, entire six weeks, is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and it says, for me, for to me to live is Christ. The phrase for to me is the emphatic support that says to me, if you're talking to me, what I can tell you emphatically is to live is Christ. And this is a foundational identity verse in the entire Bible. Our whole identity, our focus, our life is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. Meaning that if I am alive in Jesus, it's he that is living through me. That is the foundation of everything that we live out. Jesus isn't simply the one in whom you believe. It's not simply that. He is the one to whom you are attached. Who you are inextricably linked and that you will become like. And this is throughout the entire New Testament. Just a couple of quick verses to support that notion. In Colossians chapter 3 it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. You've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. You and Jesus, if you are followers of Christ, are inextricably linked. John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ and it is, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is imperative that you understand as we launch into this series that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am linked to him and that has implications. We're going to talk about that we are in Christ, but what does that mean as we live it out in this day-to-day life. Now we are going to run through much of the first chapter. So sit tight. We've got a lot of scripture. We're going to have several highlighted verses throughout. You, you, then you can know where we're going to go in the next few moments. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 at verse 12. And we're going to go through 24. It says, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's very important for us today. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Another important phrase. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But in full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's our verse for the series. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. I desire to be part and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day and this time to be together. We pray as we walk through this first chapter of the book of Philippians today. God, that you would help us to understand in this section what it means when I declare, for to me to live is Christ. What are the implications of that as I live out my life, reflective of how how Paul lived out his life in the first century. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we receive today. We pray in your great and mighty name. Amen. Well, the question that we're going to ask you to answer at the end of our time together, have you declared to live as Christ? 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have declared that at some point in your journey. The question is, do you declare that to the degree that you are living out the implications of what it means to be inextricably linked with Christ and that when you live, it is actually he that is living through you? Four thoughts today. As we consider the life of the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago and how he lived the reality of Christ in him. The first one is this, when we declare that to live is Christ, what we are really saying is that our difficulties, our circumstances are to advance the gospel. Our circumstances, no matter what they are, good, bad, or otherwise, the best day ever, the worst day ever that we can experience, that our responsibility in our journey with Christ is that he would live through us and that our circumstances would advance the gospel. Verses 12 and 13, I want you to know, brothers, that What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul? He is in jail. He's in jail. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's completed his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey where this church was planted. He traveled again his third missionary journey, visiting this church many years later. He gets to Jerusalem He's having another conflict with the religious leaders. They arrest him. It looks like it's going to be real trouble for him. So what does he do as a Roman citizen? He has the right. So he appeals to Caesar, which takes him on a journey to Rome. A very difficult journey involving shipwrecks and all kinds of other uh, not so fun things. And now he finds himself in Rome. His first Roman imprisonment. He is there for two years. He's in a rented quarters. Now, it isn't quite as bad as the Philippian jail that he had been in before. This was more akin to house arrest, and yet he was chained to a guard 24-7 for two years. For two years. Why was this the advancement of the gospel? Because the imperial guard, the Roman guard, these were the emperor's personal bodyguards. When the gospel went to the house of Caesar, we understand that it was through the imperial guards who were chained to Paul, who were a captive audience for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, scholars don't believe necessarily that this was Caesar's family. This was Nero, by the way. But that the whole compound, the complex, Caesar's network was infiltrated by the Apostle Paul because he was in jail. You know, there's a phrase that says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. I think there's some truth to that. We can't change what happens to us often. We can't change how awful the circumstances are that we find ourselves in at one point or another. What we have control over is how we respond to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I may or may not be able to change it. My spirit about that is paramount if indeed my circumstances are going to be for the advancement of the gospel because for me to live is Christ. If that's true, my response to my circumstances is absolutely critical in understanding how my circumstances can advance the gospel. At the end of the letter, Paul says in verse 22 of chapter four, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. 
And this is where we discover just how deep the infiltration of the gospel has, per- has permeated into the household of Caesar. When you have challenging circumstances, as we get to the end of our time together today, we're going to ask you to evaluate in our time of communion. Do you see every circumstance of your life as an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel? Now, trust me, I know how hard that is. I've had some rough circumstances in my life. And I know many of you have too. I've mentioned her not too long ago, but one of the most modern day powerful individuals in the advancement of the gospel as a result of circumstances is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny has commemorated 55 years in a wheelchair after a diving accident when she was a teenager that left her paralyzed. Johnny Erickson Tata has developed a ministry called Johnny and Friends. And through this ministry, she has impacted thousands and thousands and thousands of families who have children with disabilities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you are familiar with the ministry at McLean Bible Church, Ministry for Families with Disabilities, which launched Jill's house, a house of respite right there in McLean next to the church. And for years and years in my journey with McLean Bible Church, I saw family after family come to faith in Jesus Christ. We had Muslim families come to church because they had no other place that they could go where someone was able to care effectively for their children. And they come to faith in the midst of all of that. Johnny has said, the world has a philosophy that says, what can't be cured must be endured. And she says, Christians have a philosophy that says, what can't, what can't be cured can be enjoyed. And you're like, what? You are in a wheelchair. What kind of enjoyment in life do you have? And what she would tell you, if she could look you in the eye personally, she would say, after 55 years of being in a wheelchair, I would not go back to being an able-bodied human being. Because what God has done and what God has done in me and through me and how I have come to a depth of faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, it's because what he has done through the journey of my life. Because she would say, for to me to live is Christ, which means that every circumstance that I am in is for the advancement of the gospel. Number two. When we declare to live as Christ, not only is it do we recognize our circumstances advance the gospel, we recognize that our difficulties empower others. Our difficulties empower others. When I have a proper response to the difficulties of my life, what can happen then as I am in Christ, as Christ and I are one, he then can live through me and my response to the difficulties of my life can be that which influences other people for the sake of the gospel who are seeking to follow Jesus as well. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold To speak the word without fear. Paul's circumstances were used, leveraged by God, by Jesus himself. Because when Paul can say, for to me to live is Christ. That means that as an instrument of God, my circumstances encourage others to live differently. To live more effectively. To live for Jesus just as he has done. 
Pastor Denny Henderson is the senior pastor of North Lake Church in Austin, Texas. He, his church is of about a thousand in size. When he started at North Lake three and a half years ago, there were only 75 people on the first Sunday that he attended or that he led when he took the leadership of the church. In three and a half years, the Lord has grown his church to over a thousand. Some of you may rem- recognize that name. We hired Denny Henderson to be part of the staff at McLean Bible Church in the early 2000s, where he worked with the youngest of the young adults, mostly in the college-age realm. Denny moved to Texas, where he joined the staff of his father's church. He was in a succession plan, and life started to fall apart for him. What no one knew, because he had told no one, was that as a small child, he had been sexually abused. And having left that undealt with as an adult, that manifested itself in a variety of ways. As a pastor, Denny was addicted to pornography. He told his wife when she wondered where he was at three or four in the morning that he had gone off to pray when really he had gone 40 miles away to a casino to gamble, which he did regularly. One night, his wife found him curled up in a ball in his closet, and she, he said, we have two choices. You can take me to the hospital, or I am going to take my life. He had gotten all of his affairs in order. He had taken care of everything, and he was on the verge of taking his life. He spent 45 days in a rehab facility. One of his first weeks there, he was sitting in a group therapy when a young woman looked over at him And said, I know you. You're my pastor. And it devastated him. And for 45 days, he worked on his addictions and he, his journey with Jesus Christ. He got out, had to rebuild his relationship with his wife. He got a nonprofit, a job with a nonprofit, doing wonderful things. And then about five years ago, Another church in Texas took a look at him. He went to visit the church and the pastor to make sure they knew exactly what they were getting. And the pastor graciously looked at him and said, sounds like you're the right man for us. He worked for them for a year and then felt the call and the encouragement of his church to go back to where he had spent so much time in Austin to take the helm of North Lake Church. I said to Denny, I spoke to him on the phone just yesterday, and I said, Denny, do you believe that your journey has been used by God to bring boldness for the sake of the gospel? And he said, what I have seen are broken people who are now fearless in declaring the gospel and God's transformation in their own life Because what God has done through me. And now all of these years later, my wife and I can publicly share together, we wouldn't go back and change a thing. Because through it all, God's transformation has brought boldness to so many to share their story powerfully for the sake of the gospel with when nothing is hidden you can powerfully preach the gospel and what God has done in your life
God desires to empower your difficulties, your circumstances for the advancement of the gospel and the empowerment of other people in the church to proclaim Jesus in their own life through their own difficulties. When we declare to live as Christ, the implications of that, number one, are that our difficulties can advance the gospel if we let Jesus do the work. Number two, our difficulties can empower others in the body of Christ to live a life of transparency, to be bold in their own journey. Number three, when we declare to live as Christ, we can give grace regarding the flaws of others. We can give other people grace in their failures, in their foibles, in the body of Christ. Verse 18 says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul was facing those who were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it with bad motives. They were doing it for selfish ambition in an effort to kind of sock it to Paul while he's in jail, while he's out of the loop. They're hoping to edge him out, throw elbows under the net, as it were, to advance themselves And in the midst of their spiritual immaturity, in the midst of their selfish ambition, a seasoned pastor who's been through the ringer, who's now sitting in jail, reflecting on his journey, is able to say, hey, if Christ is being preached, I'm good. I'm good. Now, this doesn't mean that if there's sin involved in someone's life, we shouldn't go to try and work that out. That we shouldn't try, as Romans 12 says, to live at peace with all people. It's easy to address measurable external sin, sexual sin or embezzlement or something along those lines. Those are measurable sins. But selfish ambition is a little tougher to get our arms around sometimes. And Paul says that we all live, to live essentially with mixed motives. All of us, you, you show me a person that's doing everything that you're doing with purity of motive and I'll show you Jesus. I'll just show you Jesus. Many of you know that my story is filled with challenges. That my spiritual journey and my pastoral journey has been filled with conflict that there have been those in professional ministry who have treated me poorly. And as a person who just loves justice, I want them to pay for every last thing that they have ever done to hurt me. And I have looked up at heaven from time to time in my own spiritual journey and said, Lord, what are you doing? You can see what they're doing. How can you let this go? Surely you are not going to use them. And then God says, hey, who's in charge around here anyway? You or me? You know what? I'm going to use who I want to use. You don't get to decide that. And you know what? I always use imperfect people. Because everyone that I've ever used is an imperfect person. Including you, bro. So get off your high horse and recognize that yes, we should be responsible to address the things that we can and the things that we should. But at the end of the day, God uses people, broken people, people with mixed motives. And some of us here today need to give grace to people who have wounded us 
when it's out of our control, give it to God. And when God uses those very people to advance the gospel, sometimes we just have to say, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. That's the implication of what it means to say to live is Christ. When I declare that to live is Christ, I have to understand that that means the implication is that difficulties can advance the gospel if I'm willing to allow them to do so through Christ. Number two, that our difficulties, my difficulties, can empower others to live out more boldly in their own life, more transparently, more powerfully for the sake of the gospel. That the declaration to live as Christ means that along the journey I need to give grace regarding the flaws of other people who God chooses to use. And fourth and finally for today, I have to recognize that I need to accept suffering as part of God's plan. That I accept suffering as a part of God's plan. The role of suffering is one of the things that we will talk about over and over and over and over again. We've talked about it before. Some of us here are likely tired of talking about it at all. We don't like that reality. And our culture doesn't help us to embrace that. Our culture doesn't help us to embrace that. And we need to be reminded that God, God does use suffering. Philippians 1, 27-29 says, Only that your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You know, I've often printed little cards as summary cards for my points for a sermon series or whatever. And I thought about uh, creating a little card that you could take with you uh, that has this verse on it that says that you should not only believe in him, but only suffer, but also suffer for his sake. But I'm I'm fearful. I was fearful that they would all just sit on the table out there because this is a life verse that no one wants to claim, right? No one wants this to be their life verse, But the reality is that suffering is always used by God to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ if we are willing to allow him to do it. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should suffer for his sake. When we suffer, we tend to say, why is God doing this to me? Rather than saying, I wonder how God is going to shape me into the image of Jesus through this. Which is better. Harder, but better. Paul says in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, we'll get this to this next week. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. No matter what. No grumbling. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. 
George Eliot, which is really a pseudonym for Mary Ann Evans, a 19th century novelist and poet, said this. There is no despair so absolute as that which comes with the first moments of our first great sorrow when we have not yet known what it is to have suffered and be healed, to have despaired and recovered hope. And I submit to you that we can only do that in Jesus Christ. We can't move to a place of suffering, through suffering, to healing If we don't recognize that God has an ordained plan to use the suffering that we experience to transform us into the image of Christ. And when we embrace that, only then can we have the hope recovered that she speaks of. Hope recovered. The reality of our future look. We had a whole series on hope that I encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't had a chance to do that. Our hope in what is to come can only be in focus when we recognize today, tomorrow, next week, that everything we face, every difficulty that we have in Jesus Christ is ordained by him to transform us into his image and that we might then be used for his purposes. Suffering is a gracious gift for it is God's means of achieving His purposes in us and through us. And our culture resists that reality. And we must embrace that reality. It's my hope that today, every single person here has declared to live as Christ. For to me, to live as Christ The challenge is that when we do that, when we make our declaration to live as Christ, there are some implications for that. There's some lifestyle elements to that. There's a response to life that is implied, that comes along with that declaration. To me, to live as Christ. The first one, found in chapter one is to recognize that when we are in difficulty, all of that can be for the advancement of the gospel if we are willing. Number two, we are to recognize that when I declare to live as Christ, that then my difficulties, just like the apostle Paul, can be transformed by God to empower other people in the body of Christ to be more bold in their own journey. Number three, When I declare to live as Christ in my own journey, I can then trust God for the challenges and relationships and that even if someone who has wounded me, someone who is uh, operating out of selfish ambition, God can still use them. That's his choice and I can give grace in all of that. Fourth and finally, like the Apostle Paul, I can recognize that suffering is part of God's plan. Paul says that my circumstances are for the good. They're for the good. They're for the good of me and for the, they're for the good of the gospel. And as we prepare for communion, I want to encourage you to take a few moments and I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to take a, a moment of meditation, if you will. And I want you to answer the first question, which have you declared today to live is Christ? To live is Christ.
Have you allowed God to use your difficulties to advance the gospel? Have you allowed your difficulties to empower others by your response? Are you able in those frustrating relationships to trust God and give grace? To say, hey, God can use whomever he would wishes. And is the suffering that you're experiencing today part of God's plan in the journey ahead? Go ahead and bow your head and spend a moment talking to the Lord. Father, for many of us, when we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're so glad to have a relationship with you. We're so glad to have forgiveness. We're glad for the confidence that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But Lord, what's a process over time is often the journey of embracing the realities of what it means to declare or to to me to live as Christ. Lord, when we walk with you, when we recognize that we can abide in you, that changes everything about the way we face every moment of every day. And yet as we live in this body, this broken, fallen world, our own broken, fallen bodies, the the sin nature that still wants to kind of rear its ugly head on a regular basis, we realize that walking in you, abiding in you, letting you live through us, that's way bigger than we are. It's very difficult for us when in the midst of difficulty to recognize that, you know, my life should be advancing the gospel even now. Even now. There's a part of us that doesn't want to advance the gospel. We just want you to take away the difficulty that we face. It's hard for us sometimes to recognize that when I respond well to the difficulties of my life, that sets an example for others in the body of Christ to live with faith, to live with power and boldness and to allow their journey to declare and advance the gospel as well. Lord, I don't want to let the people who have wounded me in the body of Christ off the hook. I want you to deal with them the way I want you to deal with them. I I certainly don't want you to use them. Oh, but God, you're way bigger than that. We're so grateful for the Apostle Paul who, after so many decades of ministry, 
being such a seasoned, seasoned pastor, was able to look through that and beyond that and rejoice that the gospel was being proclaimed. Even by people who, like, like he himself, uh, didn't deserve to be used. None of us do. Father, I pray for anybody here today who has never given their life to Jesus Christ, who really has no guarantee or promise whatsoever that any of their difficult circumstances will make sense, can be used, have value, because they're not in Christ. The promise that all of these things that we've talked about today are true and can come to fruition in, in our lives is, is that we are in Christ, to live as Christ. And I pray that today, for any who've never given their lives to you, Lord Jesus, that they would simply acknowledge themselves as a sinner, embrace the payment of Christ on the cross for their own sin, enter into a relationship with you, a, a united relationship with Christ who comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. And then everything we've talked about today can be theirs. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you died on the cross. We're thankful that your body was broken for us. And that's what communion is all about. We take the bread as a declaration of our allegiance to you. When we take this bread, we are declaring for to me to live as Christ. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for being willing to submit to the plan of the Father to be the once for all payment for the world. Let's participate in the bread together. Jesus said that this cup that he took at that last supper is a new covenant in his blood. That new covenant is, I have died for you, I am now in you, and for you to live is Christ. And by taking this cup, we acknowledge our embracing of the new covenant in him, our union with him, his living through us, that every moment of every day is for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Let's participate in the cup together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the wisdom that we gain from his life. That as we walk forward as one in Christ, with Christ, Lord, our difficulties, our lives advance the gospel. Encourage others in their journey. God, that we can give grace Father, that we embrace the reality that suffering is part of the transformative process that is inevitable in this world as we become like Christ. We pray in your great name. Amen.